Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're doing our spoiler cast for Season 7, Episode 5, Eastwatch. Uh, Aaron, what do you got for us this week? Did you see... This isn't a necessary spoiler thing, but it, it, it exploded after our podcast. But there was a, a picture that got posted to all the relevant A Song of Ice and Fire threads on Reddit about... is a map of Westeros... Where they overlaid uh, a green trail that showed every place that John's been this season. I did see this, yeah. And then they showed where the Night King has marched his guys from Hard Home to some place, I don't know, halfway between there and Eastwatch, uh-huh. as like the ultimate indictment of this 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 what we call jetpacking phenomenon. Well, I, I don't buy it. I don't think this graphic represents what they're doing. Uh huh. Like the, I mean, the Night King maybe. His ultimate goal is to head down south and wreak havoc, but right. he could be doing other stuff on the way there. Yeah. It's I like, mean, okay, well, he stopped off at the gas station, and right. he, you know, wanted to go swimming on the way or something. like. Or maybe he's, because, like, there's a, the, the Song of Ice and Fire thread I thought was especially good, because, number one, the mods are ruthless about leaks, so I felt like I can hmm. stick to the highly upvoted comments there and not know it. I'm not going to be spoiled. But there's a lot of takes, like, in the book... In the books, there is hints that maybe what the white the others are trying to do is literally hunt down and kill every living thing north of the wall Could before be. they go south. Like they're like they're just just you know, um, and and they they're in the haunted woods, right? That's just just north of the wall. So it's not you know they could if if if, if they're we're talking about breaching the wall, they were right there. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be that they're scour- scouring. All of the lands of Always Winter for every dead body they can find to make sure they have the largest army. Like, or it could be that they're waiting for some kind of magical or prophetic thing to happen. Like, right. The key here is could be, and and we just don't know enough about what they're doing yet to say this is some kind of plot hole. Right. Like to be herder. Look at the, how slow they march compared to John's right. jetpack. Like, I mean, again, I'm I'm somewhat sympathetic to the jetpacking criticism. I think it's there's only so much you can talk about it, and then you either gotta like I've been saying all fucking season, you gotta accept it or stop watching the show. Sure, um, yeah. but I do. I, I'm I'm with you. I feel like it's way too premature to criticize what the Night King is is or is not doing because we don't yeah. know his agenda. We don't know his full extent of his powers. Right. We don't know what he needs to do and why he's doing the things. We can theorize about it, which is fun, but. You know, and I, you know, that's the thing. Like, the, the, it'd be like taking a look at John's side of the equation and saying, "Look how stupid he is running all over yeah. the place when he knows that the ultimate goal is to kill the right. Night King." Just go for it, man. Yeah, right, right. Like, why is he wasting all his time going all over Westeros? Yeah, it's dumb. The the the, the threats stupid. up here it should just be Winterfell to the Wall. Done. Right. Yeah, that's so. a good way of looking at it. All right, I just want. I, uh, I'm I'm glad we agree. Yeah. Uh, no people. A lot of people don't, but we'll have. That's what the rest of the series is hopefully for. Uh. A lot of people ask me that they think that the reason, one of the reasons they think that the plan to steal a white is dumb is because they've established on the show that whites cannot go south of the wall. Mm, okay. But I think people are forgetting the show. Like, yes, Benjen said that, they're, the, that he can't go south of the wall. But we've also seen a white south of the wall in the first season when it, in attacked, Castle Black, it yeah. attacked Lord Commander Mormont and eventually got, got killed by John throwing a, a torch on it. Right. So now I'm confused that, that I mean, that is a quite now the white didn't the white W I G H T mm-hmm. did not cross the wall on its own power. Sure. The men of the Night's Watch discovered the dead body of one of their black brothers up north, 
dragged it through the the gate, and then it, it, it reanimated south of the wall. So the question is, and, and we've also seen, like, when the Whites tried a breach of their own volition, like a magical ward, like, outside the cave of the Three-Eyed Raven, they just kind of, like, burst into dust. Right. So, again, nothing's proven. We don't know how any of this stuff works, but a reasonable person could infer that a white cannot choose to cross the barrier themselves, but if someone is foolish enough to take it south, it's not like it's going to just get vaporized by someone else bringing it. Hmm. Okay. Or maybe there's a way that it can go into shutdown mode, or maybe the Night King or another white walker can raise them from a distance. Like, we we really don't know. And that's kind of incredible with only eight episodes to go (laughs) that we are still this confused about the basic mechanics of this stuff. Yeah, it makes me wonder if they'll ever answer those questions concretely, but it also makes me wonder if they need to. Yeah. You know, I'm still enjoying it plenty um, with those questions still wide open. Right, right. Uh, The other thing I want to talk about is the Maesters made a lot of comments about Ginny of Old Stones and the Prophet Lodos. Oh, Lodos. Oh, all of those words you say mean nothing to me. (laughs) Right, so that's like when when Sam pled his case after the Maesters dismiss it, they're like, oh, this reminds me of Ginny Vones, Lodestones, or the Lodos, or whatever. So I actually had recognized the Ginny from Oldstones reference, but I didn't know this Lodos guy, so I I started researching. There's some information about them in the world of Ice and Fire. Um, But I'm going to be lazy on that because I don't have my copy handy. I'm going to read right from the uh, wiki of Ice and Fire and then give background. Ginny of Oldstones was the wife of Duncan, the Prince of Dragonflies. Uh, now, Duncan was the firstborn son of King Aegon V, which is the famous Duncan Egg King. And he named him Duncan after his best friend. Right, his last name, Egg. Duncan Egg. <laughs> right, right. No, no, it's Duncan, the, Sir Duncan the Tall, who uh-huh. this guy was named after, and uh, Aegon the King. Uh, there are many songs written about her, including Ginny's songs, which the ghost of High Heart always wants to hear. More on that later. She mm-hmm. wove flowers in her hair. Prince Duncan Targaryen loved Ginny so much that he married her against his father Aegon's wishes, breaking his betrothal to the daughter of Lord Lionel Baratheon. King Aegon tried to have the marriage undone, but Duncan refused to give her up, ultimately giving up his rights to the throne for her. She was friends with the Woods Witch, who prophesied that the prince that was promised would be born from the line of Prince Eris and Princess Rhaella. Now, Prince Eris later became known as the Mad King Hmm. and gave birth to Rhaegar Targaryen. When King Jaehaerys II heard the prophecy, he arranged a marriage between his two children uh, to deliberately bring about this uh, 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 print, the Azor Ahai prince that was promised deal, um, which is also why Rhaegar was intensely interested in this prophecy and did a lot of research and thought, you know, tried to deliberately manipulate his own circumstance to give birth to this prince that was promised. Uh, so the ghost of High Heart. Um, is this Woods Witch character that appears in the books, like the 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 the, uh, uh, the uh, brother to that Banners goes to visit her in a cave, and she gives a lot of different prophecies. She talks about you know she's the one that talks about the the snow giant that gets slain at Winterfell by the maid with the purple serpents in her hair, which mm-hmm. points to Sansa. We talked about that I think last week, if not the week before. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also prophesied the just the, the different ends of the the kings and the war of the five kings and a, a couple of different other things. Um, but uh, yeah, and apparently she's really super old because she was also the best friend of Ginny of Oldstones, which is about a hundred years before the events of Game of Thrones. Hmm. She's also weird. She's described as being three foot tall with red eyes. So a lot mm. of people also think that she's like some really old wizened version of the Children of the Forest, which is oh. what Ginny mm. of Old Stones okay. thought. But then 
it's kind of considered that I think the the consensus is that she's more like uh, some kind of dwarf like Tyrion. Okay. Um, I don't. It doesn't explain the red eyes, but maybe she's just always weeping about her friend Ginny. Uh, so anyway, that's that. Uh, and then Lotos is interesting. So following the death of Heron the Black, Heron the Black is the he gave his name to the castle Harrenhal. He was the last king of the Iron Islands and the Riverlands before Aegon came and kicked all their asses in. Hmm. Uh, and he, you know, Harrenhal's famously melted because he refused to bend the knee. So Aegon just took his dragons and literally slagged it and everyone inside of it. Pretty mm-hmm. badass. Uh, but following the death, uh, Lotos, um, who was the high priest at the time of the Iron Islands, was crowned king with a driftwood crown by two scores of priests gather at, gathered on Old Wick. Uh, when Aegon, the, target, the, the conqueror, attacked the Iron Islands to put down this rebellious uh, would-be king, Lotos turned to his god and called on the krakens of the deep to drag down Aegon's warships. When the beast failed to appear, Lotus filled his <laughs> robes with stones, walked into the sea to take counsel with his father. Thousands of Iron Islands uh, Islanders followed him into the sea. Their corpses would wash up on the shores for years to come, except for Lotos's own body. Wow. Then, 34 years later, a man claiming to be Lotos, reborn, led a brief rebellion against the current Targaryen king, uh, Anus the First mm, Targaryen. Yeah, good old Anus. Good first. old Anus. Uh, this was swiftly put down by the Greyjoys, who were the now new rulers of the Iron Islands, and they sent his pickled head to the Iron Throne as tribute. Jesus. Ah, Lotos. <laughs> I just like the idea that he tried to get the Krakens to come, and when they come, uh. like, oh, I'm going to go talk to my father, to see God, <laughs> and essentially drowned himself and all of his followers. Yeah. So th- this this background here, um, where you can see from the maester's standpoint why they're skeptical of prophecy. Yeah. Because the prince was promised was to come from the line of Targaryens. And then they, within a generation or two were instantly thrown down. Mm-hmm. This Lotos guy said he was a prophesied son of the, the old drowned God. And then he met two different gruesome ends. Mm-hmm. So like, you, you know, you understand why these learned men are skeptical of it. Sure. Uh, is there anything you want to ask or talk about before we move on to the listener feedback? Not that it has to do with the spoiler cast, no. Okay. Uh, first, a quick note about upcoming Bald Move programming. Uh, we have been doing almost nothing but the Bald Move this week, but next week we got a couple cool things. Uh, two things for the club members. Uh, we, we did a uh, playthrough of the Telltale game Wolf Among Us, which is one of the very first Telltale adventure series. It's something we've done a lot. We've played all the Game of Thrones, all the the Walking Dead ones. This is the first non-kind of bald move TV one we did. Uh, We'll have that playthrough out on Monday. Uh, We're also releasing another Empire Business podcast and video podcast. This is uh, talking about social media um, and our social media strategies and some things we've been trying in this new, uh, in in 2017. It's not the new year anymore. No. It's getting old and saggy. Yeah, this is almost the end year. 2017's getting some crow. It's looking old. It's it, it, it's been it's 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 not the not the years. It's the mileage. There's been a lot of mileage on this year year already. Uh, but that's coming out Wednesday. Also, if you're interested in the background story behind a small podcast startup, namely Bald Move, uh, it's a cool series. You got to be a club member to enjoy it. Uh, and then another uh, freebie. We're going to have another Bald Move TV. I know we're going to be talking a little Rick and Morty. The last of the following two episodes, uh, some Ozarks. Some glow, Santa Clarita diet. Santa maybe. Clarita diet. That's a that's an oldie. Uh, an just, oldie. It came out this year. Ah, ah, that's, 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 it's back from New Year. Netflix from series age and dog years. Yeah, uh, and also why why I got the Game of Thrones audience. Uh, we got some some bang up stuff coming up in September. Uh, we're doing, of course, season two rewatch of Game of Thrones. Right. 
we are going to be releasing coverage, complete coverage of season one, Stranger Things, leading yeah. up to season two, which we'll have full coverage on. And then once we get into like October, we got Mr. Robot coming back. We got The Walking Dead coming back. We got the hell is that what I'm leaving off here? Uh, oh, Stranger, Stranger Things, Things season two. two. Yeah. Halt and Catch Fire somewhere in there. Nope, nope. Uh, Eric backed out on me what? on the Halt and Catch Fire cast. What? Sorry, Eric. I'm throwing you under the bus. Let's see if I can. Let's see if I can beat some sense into it by packs. Well, it's right. already started airing, so it's too late. Oh, has it? Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, so uh, everything except for the last part works. I'm a total liar because of Eric. Actually, Fucking no. I Eric. think it airs tomorrow, but. Maybe. See, lies, <laughs> lies, nothing but lies. I sit on a throne of lies on this game of... Th- a web of mystery, I prefer. Of- <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah. Good spin, Cersei, good spin. <laughs> it's terrorists that attacked the, uh, the, the the great Seth, wasn't it? It was. All right, well, that's what's going on. Lies, trickery, and deceit at baldmove.com. <laughs> it's just like Game of Thrones. You'll feel just, just like you're back home. Uh, check it out, baldmove.com. Well, then Chris V says, the Double Ds have gone on record saying that Lady Stoneheart plot is toast and there's not much time left in the series, so I believe them. However, yeah. with Gendry back, we could be seeing how plots we thought were abandoned both in the show and the books would be significant. If the Double Ds have a bulleted list of what needs to happen to wrap the story up, could the ham-fisted plot of the A-team going to kill the wall to capture White be their way of course-correcting to some abandoned plot line? I'd like to get your thoughts on whether you think George Martin's version was to have someone bring Catelyn Stark, a.k.a. Lady Stoneheart, before her uh, to do the convincing. Cersei had to at least have a formal relationship with Catelyn, Catelyn rather, and she knows that she's dead and through a random dead man from beyond the wall may not be as persuasive. I think Catelyn mostly decayed would be hmm. pretty damn convincing. The same players are involved in both versions, Beric and Thoros. Going beyond the wall to try to pick off one white from a horde seems ridiculous and poorly constructed, but they're forcing this plot line through anyway, making me think there has to be more to it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she's already got the mountain as an example of someone who's come back from the dead, essentially, right? So bringing someone who's also... I think there's a distinction, because from Cersei's perspective... He may not have been dead. He's never, because, yeah. like, in the books, they talk about him, you know, you can just hear Gregor screaming from the black cells for weeks and weeks. And, hmm. okay. you know, Kyburn's down there mad sciencing away. Like, the, did did he ever die? Like, he, there's, gotcha. a, there's a gray, like, clearly a thinking person can see how horrific he is. But, you know, is he, like, you know, uh, healed by some kind of crazy medical? Like, you know, you see a victim of a third third degree burns over 90% of your body. And like just just like their just appearance has changed forever. It doesn't mean they're a dead person. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I, w- I was using him maybe wrongly as an example of um, the difference between these forces, right? Yeah. Like Catelyn Stark is not raised by the Night King, right? Um, so you know, even if Lady Stoneheart comes into the throne room and says, like, you know, doesn't say anything, but. I don't know, writes right. on a piece of paper, draws and sand. Rasps a bunch of yeah. words at Cersei, yeah. Uh, it, it's still a leap. It's still a big leap for Cersei to make from this person was raised for the de- from the dead, therefore the Night King must have an army of dead coming from the north. Like, yeah. that's still a big leap. And, not to mention, Cersei has a lot of reasons not to care. Right. Do you think that they would change a big detail. Like, cause here's my thing. This is what it's starting to feel like this season and next is, is looking like that. The double D's have these bullet points that they want to hit, but they're so loosely coupled. It's very hard to get from, okay, each of these individual bullet points looks good, mm-hmm. but to try to believably get them from one to the other is very hard. 
thus it's taking George Martin forever to get this shit done because like it's just very hard to make these connections believable. Yeah. But the double D's have to come up with the season every year, so they're like, you know what, fuck it. We're gonna lock ourselves in a writing room. We're gonna give us a week <laughs> to try to make the best connection at the on Friday, close of business day, we are signed, sealing, delivered, breaking that story out, someone write it. Yeah. And it's not great. But, like, that's why I guess I'm ultimately more sympathetic to the Double Ds than George Martin because George gave him the bullet points. That's the easy point. Oh, sure. Getting all those, you know, bringing everyone from two different continents together into the right place to get these bullet points, that's where you start running into jetpacking and all this other bullshit that we complain about. Mm -hmm. And you come up with harebrained plots like, you know, John bringing a white back from the wall. Like, that... If that's a bullet point, that seems like a really dumb bullet point. But I, I, that's the question. Like, would they would they make that big of a change this late? I don't know. I mean, yeah, without seeing, you know, the the things that George has given them and the advice and, right. and knowledge that they have about what he's going to write, I don't really know because it might not be as simple as like John goes north to take a white to Cersei, right? Right. It might be something like Cersei becomes convinced that the White Walkers are more of a problem. Right. Or she doesn't. And, or she doesn't, yeah. Which or is, I she's think presented with something that should convince her and it doesn't. And they have to kind of like draw, like, okay, how would we get Cersei even close to, or how would we make these characters believe that they could get Cersei to believe it? Yeah. You know? Maybe they don't have like as much info or the specific info that we think they're going off of. That's why it's like, I guess it's believable. The what Chris says that like someone gets the idea of like, let's just let John's like, let's just show him mom, my, my bitch of a stepmother. Uh, and then bring her down there. And she just did not, you know, the Cersei just is not moved by the evidence. Mm. But since the double D's did not introduce Catelyn Stark, that like literally she's what she's just been floating in the river for three years. Like right, that would come out of nowhere. They've painted themselves in the corner and now they're like, well, we just have to come up with some way to get a whites. What other whites do we have that actually look like whites? Like, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it, it's hard to say without knowing how this is going to end. Yeah. So, uh, Colin M from Scotland last week, someone mentioned about the white walkers being male or female. And you said they came for Craster's sons. This got me thinking, what if little baby Sam is part of what they're after? The only Craster son to escape mm. being left in the woods for them. Just an idea. What do you think? Yeah, I like it. They're yeah. coming for you, Sam. Back in season four, when I first started doing a spoiler podcast, which by the way, every week there's a link to the spoiler archive that talks about the, like the deep dives on theories. There's one in that season four where I said like, uh, a de- it's called like a deeper look at Winterfell, the wall and the others. And I talk about like, there's, there's a very common theory that the reason the white walkers have come is because we have, we never defeated the white walkers. I say we, cause I was part of that team. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> the people of Westeros didn't defeat the white walkers so much as come up with some kind of armistice. Mm-hmm. And that slowly as the realm of men have forgotten why they're garrisoning the wall, they've also forgotten their obligations to the others. And make maybe Craster was literally the only person still funneling them the tribute. And once that stopped, or alternatively, what was really going to the White Walkers is someone that actually had the temerity to steal their offering. Mm-hmm. And that's why they started moving south. Now, that doesn't explain why they were on the march early in the in, in the prologues of the books and early in season one because right. that happened obviously way before Craster was even on our radar. Yep. But it could be that they were slowly getting pissed that he was the la you know, that he was the last one. That that's the baby supply was dwindling. Exactly. I mean that's that 
that and that also feels very George Martin mm-hmm. that you know essentially we forgot an obligation that it's a horrific horrific obligation but maybe it was better than facing extinction right and we're not living up to it and this is essentially this is all our fault you know we left we 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 appease something rather than confronting it at the end but like we just don't know we don't know yeah solid theory colin uh you like if you're asking these questions like you really should start exploring some of the archives and some of the this the stuff at the citadel of the the wiki of ice and fire that like because like they're just like tons and tons and tons of theory crafting we've had shit to do other than that for the last seven years Mm -hmm. there's some pretty intense and crazy theories that you guys would probably be interested in uh brooke from hogwarts i've heard you uh talk multiple times this season about mira being important to brand sense of humanity but i think another purpose of mira's character is to bring in the character of howlin reed through Mira's return home, is it possible they would use this character to either prove R plus L equals J, or to eventually ally humans and the children of the forest to fight the White Walkers, as John mentions happened before? Uh, since Howland Reed is present at the Tower of Joy with Ned and Leanna, he might be one of the only living people aware of John's true identity. Additionally, he may be one of the only living people besides Bran who can provide a perhaps deeper testament to Leanna and Rhaegar's relationship, as he was present also at the Tournament of Hall, which is where... Uh, Rhaegar famously won the tournament, and then instead of giving the prize to his wife, rode right past her and gave it to Lyanna. Um, I guess the problem is, is now the brand knows Howland Reed seems to me entirely redundant. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine like a scenario in where, in which John won't believe like a a source of his heritage, but he might right. believe several sources telling him. Right. Or or. I mean, corroborating evidence, you know, mm-hmm. it's like may, maybe. And the other thing is, so he's redundant about that. Now, your point about the tournament of Harrenhal and their true relationship. I feel like that since Gilly all but said that they were properly like, there's already a conduit of that information introduced in universe. So like now I feel like Howland's right. double redundant now. Yeah, I'm, but he might just be the third, you know. That he's I'm also the guy over. that said Euron Greyjoy and the Greyjoys yeah. would never be relevant to the plot. I'm the guy that said we'll never see Benjen Stark again. Guy so that said we'll never see Gendry again. <laughs> I, 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 I said yes. I said those things too. And I've been proven wrong all the time. Yeah, me too. So uh, that just goes to show uh, the, 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 the prognostication business is really hard, especially if you don't know how the story is going to end. So, And you're not a witch. I'm not a witch. You might have better luck. Nor a warlock. Yeah. I'm a man of science and reason, Uh, which is why I'm wrong all the time. (laughs) What the fuck? Uh, Brand M. Just listen to spoiler for episode four, and there's a lot of speculation on Gurm's inability, unwillingness, or disinterest in finishing the story. There's also been a lot of talk of ownership and legacy of his work. The fact is, what the Double Ds are doing right now is putting their ending on the story. What if he's fine with that? What if he decided two seasons ago, you know what? Fuck it. I'll let them end the story their way, the TV way, and then I'll write my own damn ending my way. Would that be so bad? I mean, George Martin doesn't seem to like it. Yeah, I mean, it It might be. But if he really didn't like it, he could fix it. He could have fixed it a year ago. Can you force, I mean... I guess that's what's so frustrating with George is because every successful creative person I've ever known has always said that you can force creativity. Sure you, you can, can cultivate that just like you can cultivate strength in your body. I you believe have to that. Force yourself to do it. And so that tells me that George I guess that's the galling thing about George is if you subscribe to that theory, then there's nothing other than fear, uncertainty, doubt, and laziness 
that you can choose from to why he hasn't finished his story. Um, when, 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 you know, he said at the end of feast and dance, that he had all the last trouble. Now he's got to tell and it's no, it's smooth sailing from here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why that, that seems to enrage people. Like I got a lot of like hate mail, like people said, I'm so sick and tired of your defending the double D and I'm like, I, well, first of all, it's my opinion. Second of all, I defended it. So like, mm-hmm. if you got a problem with my findings of facts, let me know. But like, I, I, I Brad, I guess what I'm saying is I doubt that this was his plan. Now, it Certainly. might be something that he's accepted. Maybe. And, like, what's the point of even trying to finish before the television show? And, like, then that leads to leads a meta discussion about, you know, what is an ethical author to do? Does he stick to his plot even if it craters on the TV show? If the TV show is accepted as, like, the end of it is accepted as brilliant, does that give him the courage that, you know, he needs to just power through? Fuck, I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. Mm-hmm. All I've done is bought every book that he's ever written in hardcover <laughs> so and on and on kindle and on audible <laughs> so i feel like i paid for at least one therapy session if he wants to figure out what the hell's wrong with them but you know that's that's all i can do that and 113 episodes of game of thrones on it uh any other thoughts no luke schmidt in a spoiler pod for Spoils of War, you said you didn't know how Littlefinger got the Valerian Steel Dagger back. I just finished the Audible game uh, version of Game of Thrones for the first book, and in this, thr- I swear to God, I feel, feel like I'm stumping for Audible <laughs> with my last statement in this guy's email. It's totally random. Great service. Uh, just finished the Audible Game of Thrones for the first book, and in the throne room, when Jano Slint turns the gold cloaks against him, Littlefinger pulls the dagger from Ned's belt and holds it against his throat and had, had it until he gave it to Bran. Yeah, and that actually happens in the show, too. Hmm. Uh, he pulls the... And so yeah. that's apparently where he got it, and he never gave it up. Hmm. Okay. I wonder if that will be something that Arya pulls at a thread. Like, how did you get this dagger? The last person that had it was my mother. My mother gave it to my father. How did you end up with it? Mm-hmm. Um so that will be that will be interesting. Um, but yeah, I just want to issue that correction, because I, I remember I petered out on a story, and I, I did not recall how he got his little little fingers on it. Uh, Rachel H., thinking about all the people who want to strangle Cersei and how we viewers may find some stranglings more satisfying than others, I suddenly saw the line of slappers from the first Airplane movie. Have you seen... Are you, do you know what he's talk, talking sure. about? yeah. Where everyone's lining up to take turns calming down the hysterical woman? Uh-huh. Because imagine was starting with, say, Theon throttling Cersei. Tyrion grabs him by the shoulder and pulls him away, saying, Little Brother Prophecy writes... Then Jamie pulls Tyrion away, claiming Little Brother and Queen Slayer. Then Littlefinger takes his turn. Little fingers make the base stranglers. Then he pauses, rips off his face, revealing it's Ari after all. Valonqar is gender neutral. I'm the little sister. Uh, and, <laughs> in law by unconsummated sham marriage, and just so on and so on. Uh, yeah. Super funny. I like it. Not going to happen. But a long line <laughs> of people throttling Cersei is an idea I can totally get behind. Uh-huh. Uh, then the hound comes in there, and he's got rights for some reason. That mountain does it just because he's the mountain. Uh, moving on, Potato Jones. Uh, so I just listened to your spoiler edition from uh, August 11th. I was intrigued by the fake Aegon discussion. I'm a book reader, and I've been trying to piece together how he fits into the endgame, whether it's only in the books or in this show as well. It occurred to me that he could be the bridge to Dorne. There seems to be a complete power vacuum in Dorne at the moment, and if he can convince people that he is the son of Ella Martell, Elia Martell, whether he is actually or not, he becomes one of the most valuable pieces left in the war. 
Not only would you lock up the Golden Company, but you could also bring the entire Dornish force over to your side. I'm not certain there's enough time to develop this into the show, but if Gurm ever releases the subsequent novels, it could be where Aegon's story fits. What do you think of hmm. that, Jim? Okay. I, I mean, I'm, as a viewer, very curious what's going on in Dorne right now. Yeah, because it's, um, it's a power vacuum. Right. And this, as, as Potato... <laughs> as potato theorizes uh could be could like his 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 fake dragon utility uh would help out if he did claim to be the you know the the so so he's got to claim the dorn and to you know he's the legitimate ruler number 1 and also I'm of your royal ruling family and you guys are bereft mm-hmm. of leadership I am a banner you can rally around um I don't know and that's the thing with the mention of the golden company like that would be interesting if, but, it, but here's the thing. So that would then, if I'm reading Potato here correctly, that would be a third faction. You've got Cersei and the Loyalist. You got Danny and the people loyal to her, and now you've got Aegon Targaryen. Mm-hmm. In the books, granted, he wants to impress Cersei to, to eventually woo her, or not not Cersei, uh, D- Danny. Mm-hmm. And Tyrion counsels her, is like, well, she's going to respect the man of action. You should go and start conquering Westeros. So would he be a third faction in opposition to the other two, Danny and Cersei, or would he be an ally of Danny? So Cersei brings the Golden Company over there and unknowingly slits her own throat. Yeah, no, I feel like that would be the better way to go. I, I don't think introducing another faction at this point is very wise i mean you got the fourth uh, faction which is the knight's king you've already you've, you've already got three factions you'd add a fourth sure, front yeah. of the war essentially right um and i guess to say like i'm eager to know what's going on in dorne is to also say i'm willing to grant them a lot of latitude mm-hmm. um as far as bringing in new characters and and getting them up to speed very quickly right so if they were going to try something like this i don't think i'd be too down on it right on uh alex in says he was listening to the last spoiler episode this morning when you started talking about the War of the Roses. After falling into a Wikipedia hole, I found some... Pa- uh, yeah, that happens. That it happens. Does. That happens to me every Thursday and Friday. Uh, after falling to a Wikipedia hole, I found some parallels to A Song of Ice and Fire that Gurm probably used for inspiration. Obviously, there are no real dragons in the real history of the War of the Roses, but I just happen to know off the top of my head that a red dragon is a symbol of Wales. Henry Tudor... The eventual winner of the War of Roses didn't have a great claim to the throne, as his mother was from a descended from a legitimized royal bastard. But his paternal family was Welsh, specifically descended from the Tudors of Pennymid. That's an improbable amount of... Uh, that's probably not how you pronounce it. It's an improbable number of consonants and the letters Y. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh-huh. Some old English bullshittery. Henry Tudor took the Red Dragon... Of Cadwaldar, another improbable sequence of consonants and vowels, who is a semi-mythical Welsh king, as his banner to add some legitimacy to his claim. Also part of Henry Tudor's brand during the wars, promoting himself as the destined or prophesied son, destined to drive the English out of Britain and reclaim it for the native Celts. Hmm. Uh... Shaking on my history, but that didn't actually happen. I, I seriously doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> I think the English still rule uh, Britain. Uh-huh. Uh, when I looked up Henry Tudor, I was also surprised to see this royal coat of arms includes a red dragon, a white greyhound, and a little gold lion. Huh. If you look at it sideways, you can see how Gurm might have gotten the inspiration for a union between Danny, the red dragon, and John, the white wolf. Yeah. Don't know how the lion would fit in. Oh, I do. A little golden lion, Tyrion. Uh-huh. Yep. 
Dragon has three heads. Hype, baby! <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, so, I... But he says uh, he could start to see how the images would inspire George and we'd start to inspire a story where eventually the dragon and wolf come together. There's also the fleur de lis symbolizing the English claim over France and, of course, the Tudor rose, which combines the white Yorkist rose with the red Lancastrian rose. Hmm. Uh, another thing I've always thought was a parallel to Gurm, uh, that he will throw in the creepy uncle-niece relationship that Richard III had with Elizabeth of York. Although Richard was already married, there were rumors that he would marry Elizabeth of York, who, like Sansa, was also fated to be a marriage pawn. There's some undertones of this already in A Song of Ice and Fire, because Richard III is traditionally portrayed as a grotesque hunchback, so it could mirror Tyrion and Sansa's marriage. However, Richard was the Elizabeth of York's uncle. He was the brother to her father-slash-king. In true A Song of Ice and Fire style, I always thought the Gurm would twist that and make it aunt-nephew with Danny and John. So it's not just accidental incest. Gurm totally meant it to be Luke and Leia, to Luke and Leia up the story. Uh, so I thought that was pretty fascinating because I did not know this. Like this all seems like okay, white greyhound and red mm-hmm. dragon and gold lion dancing. Like that's, I mean, the three headed dragon prophecy. That's that's the usual suspects, right? You throw in Bran warging as maybe a, a variant for for Tyrion or John, but like Danny, John, Tyrion. Um, two of them who are potentially secret Targaryens, John who's putting his fist up Drogon's nostril in this episode, Tyrion who's <laughs> petting the other nostrils from the pre- previous season as he's freeing the dragons. That seems pretty, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting to look at you know the the historical events that obviously uh, by the author's own admission inspired right. the story, um, and, and try and pull out the parts that maybe you know, were more influential than others and see where, okay, George might have taken inspiration from this and here's maybe how he twisted it for his own story. Um, Yeah, like I'm not sure how it lines up with like the ending. I don't know if he's going... Converting to aunt-nephew seems really strong. Uh Like, like, again... And I mean, just this whole union in the first place, it seems like that was natural. The other other question you have is, like, even if he's inspired by that, would he invert it by having it be instead of, like, this seems like a pretty sad thing that this young girl's being married to this, Mm -hmm. you know, hunchback dude. Um, You know, there's a little little bit of Sansa Tyrion there, too. Right. Um, But, like, he'd subvert it in two ways. One, the aunt will be beautiful. And the nephew will be a comely young lad, mm-hmm. and they'll be desperately in love, and then he'll subvert it again by murdering one of them. <laughs> right? Both. Yeah. So like that does feel very Martiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I just want to share that. I thought that was excellent research and historical scholarship, Alex. I want to take a break real quick to tell you two things. Number one, uh, you can send email to Game of Thrones at mm. boldmove.com if you want to send feedback for any of our podcasts. Well, for any of our game of thrones podcast also elaborate series of heart attacks i'm having right now don't know what's going on maybe something i ate uh also you can follow us on social media all the social medias slash or at bald move um and i also want to talk about an opportunity that you have exclusively oh this week for joining the club at club.baldmove.com offer valid all 52 weeks of the year uh it's a great way to support the the uh, our, our burgeoning company because we, re- we release tons and tons and hours and hours of, of content we I, I remember uh early this year i was looking at our uh, interface and we had released like 2600 podcasts oh my god do you know how much time that's stay 
it, it takes a lot of time because it's it's a full time it's a full time job. We mm-hmm. do this full time. That's how we can do three uh, podcasts at Game of Thrones and all the other stuff we do. And we really appreciate our your direct listener support by going to the club and you get a little something for it. It's not it's not all altruism. We understand this is the Game of Thrones. You live or you die. Uh, you get you get some you get some stuff. Uh, you get a free Valerian steel dagger. Not true. You get a vial of the long goodbye. Also, not true. You get bright pink Forever Twenty One Cersei Lannister lipstick. Well, you're really on a tear here of untrue things. And no, that one actually would that be funny if we actually sent a little. <laughs> we do, yeah. Bright pink lipstick to everybody. Um, and then, uh, but what you do get is you get a bunch of bonus premium content. We have tons of. If you like hearing us talk about stuff. We got lunch with Jim and Aaron, which is us just literally talking about stuff. It's the Seinfeld of podcasts. Um, we've got uh, the Empire Business, which is where we take a peek behind uh, the the little startup thing that we got called Bald Move. We got uh, Quips, Quit Your Pitching, where we pitch imaginary television shows. We got video game playthroughs. We do tons of other bonus content. You got video versions of the podcast. You can actually watch us record it live and fuck up and do all kinds of stupid shit. And you got ad-free feeds. You never have to hear me beg for money. Again, or hawk a mattress, or a, or a an audible, mm-hmm. or or a, a Hello Fresh meal, or whatever. I know ads they they're they're not great, but they pay the bills, mm-hmm. and you can pay the bills in advance and not get them anymore by going to the club club dot Check it out. Thank you for your support in advance. Moving on, Tony from Tucson. In the feedback section this week's spoiler episode, you discuss the connections between the Game of Thrones and War of the Roses and how this might imply Tyrion and Sansa will end up being the final reigning partners in Westeros. Holy cow, lots of War of Roses talk. Mm-hmm. I partly agree with this theory, but for different reasons. In Gurm's first book, when Tyrion is at Winterfell talking to Bran prior to any of the events taking place, there's a moment where Tyrion opens the door to the banquet hall, and the light from the hall washes over him and casts a very long shadow. Gurm says something along the lines of, in this light he could almost be a king. Since I read this, I've always thought Tyrion would wind up becoming the final reigning king or otherwise ruler of Westeros when the Game of Thrones concludes. Hmm. So far, nothing in either books or show has dissuaded me from this idea. Jon and Danny appear to be the heroes of the tale, but I won't be surprised if they have to sacrifice their own lives in order to save the realm, a la Azor Ahai, etc. Once they're gone with, the Cer- with Cersei and Jaime dead, or as I assume they will be, only Tyrion and Sans will have any rightful claim. What do you guys think? Hmm. It's another way to get the Richard the Third kind of flavor in there too, with with Tyrion and Sansa, like we said. Right now, I okay, so I do think that George there is trying to show, you know, what what Tyrion is outside of his physical form, right? Like the the way people see him versus the way right. he he truly is, and I think it's more like, um, just a, a visual way of conveying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, than than it is like. Oh, he's here's some prophecy that's going to come true by the end of the book. But it could I do also like Tyrion a lot, and it right. could be foreshadowing. And I would not be upset at all if yeah. it was Tyrion sitting on Cersei's throne at the end of this thing with Queen Sansa. That's the thing. Like for me to feel good about Sansa, they need to do a fucking huddle up offense version she... of them, her seeing him in an entire. And I yes, think, yes. I mean, she she's... needs to come to him and propose this thing because right. Or, I'm not going to feel right about it if he's just like, "Hey, you want to do this?" Or he needs to be so just heroic and kind in defense of the realm that she sees that he is kind of the true knight. Hmm. Okay. That like yeah he doesn't he's not the package that she thought he was getting but like she sees the attraction. Well, I mean, first Peter Dinklage is a, I think a ridiculously handsome man. 
He is. Uh, yeah. He's a dwarf, but like you know, I've 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 heard many women and not a, not a, not a dissimilar number of men say that he's a very handsome guy, and it's a lot better of a match than like he's he's really grotesque in the books, and he yeah. then he gets his nose completely cut off, right? Uh, whereas he just kind of guy's a dashing scar on his face in, uh-huh. in the series. So I, the only way I'd be happy with that is if if it like you said if Sansa comes around and sees it, him. it needs to be her choice. Uh, like yeah. there there can't be even a whiff of her not wanting to do right. this, but being forced into it somehow. Because arguably they both suffered a lot under the Lannisters, and that's something yeah. they both have in common. And in the show, they she certainly seems to not if not soften in retrospect, see that Tyrion wasn't as bad as he could yeah. have been mm-hmm. as a Lannister. So I, there's a hint there, but man, there's only eight episodes left and I don't know how they would effectively tell her. Or, I mean, I guess the other thing is it would be kind of ironic because Tyrion, Tyrion's character is um, as a maladaption to his abuse at his family. He becomes a drunken wh- whoremonger as a way to kind of mock his father and to kind of, you know, dull his senses of the fact of how much of his wasted potential. Yeah. Like, it would also be funny if him and Sansa and, and, and Tyrion decided to get married at the end for purely intellectual good of the realm reasons, which mm-hmm. would kind of put an ironic spin on the fact when he, you know, he said, hey, look, we're married now, but I'm not going to do anything you don't want me to. And she's like, what if I don't ever want you to? Mm-hmm. And he kind of salutes her and says, so now my watch ends. <laughs> right. It'd be interesting if he becomes a sober, a sober chaste person and they have this huh. purely marriage alliance where they respect each other but they're not in love and they don't as a way to unite and heal the realm because that would then finally bring right. his character to a pretty successful arc yeah no i like that a lot So then I, she doesn't have to love him at all they just have to love the realm and respect each other and mm-hmm. i think that i could actually see easy okay. don't i don't need eight episodes of love story for that <laughs> um matthew b Assuming we eventually get at least one more book, but hopefully two, very hopefully, at some point to finish the series, how far do you think the Double Ds are veering away from major plot points not yet released in the books? I know they have this oh, mythical boy. outline, but does anyone besides them know how detailed that outline was? No, I don't think so. I I mean, like I said, they, the most they've said is that when they first met with Martin, his, his opening salvo was to ask them who Jon Snow's mother is. And they aced the test. Presumably they said Lyanna Stark, and he's like, okay, these guys are serious. I can talk with them. And then when they were breaking down the the early seasons and doing pre-production, they they went to his house and had several days worth of meetings where he revealed to them the stuff that had not been released. Presumably a lot of stuff from Dance of Dragons, which wasn't out at the time, but also the shape of the end of the series. Um, And they've also, in the last season's, like, background material they've talked about how there were several points i can't remember how they describe them i mean it's been like you know the rye thing on the internet to say bullet points but Hmm. one of which was the death of hodor where they were like shocked surprised like oh man that's like a red wedding type type of shocker um and there's there's more to come uh but that's and and i don't think anyone outside of them I, it would surprise me if the writing room doesn't know all that stuff at right. this point. They, they kind of have to. Right. Um, so, But there's probably only a dozen men and women on this entire planet to know how Game of Thrones is going to end. Yeah. Uh, George is one of those. The Double Ds are one of those. And whoever the writing staff is. Uh, anyway, back to his email. I asked this because it shows very clearly on the R plus L equals J train. However, as far as the books go, I'm basically split 50-50 between R plus L equals J and N plus A equals J. N plus A is Ned Stark plus Ashara Dane 
equals John. That's a popular in-universe theory of who John's mother is. Um, Willow. I mean, unless they're just fucking freestyling on this Tower of Joy thing. Right. And and the books with the basically spelling it all out. Like, I don't see how that's possible in the books. And that's exactly what I'm going to say. He So he watched a video series probably from Preston Jacobs. Maybe not. Um, I think he linked it, and I, I didn't watch it because I've seen this theory and don't think much of it. Uh, but he thought it made a very compelling case for possibly being the right track. My question is, can we accept now that R plus L equals J is the canon for the books? Or is there a chance that Double D's would venture that far from the book as a plot point uh, as major as John's parentage? I mean, I'm going with R plus L equals J. I, th- I think, right. you know, in as much as the show is going to cover what the books will cover later, yeah. then it's already been said and done. Right. And also, I hate the idea of Ned Stark plus anybody other than Catelyn, honestly, because that is a betrayal of his entire being, right. his entire character. And the fact to that say he, that he would go off and have an affair and and right. have this child, and and the fact that he's, it, it, but it makes sense that he's so honorable and he takes yes. his vows so serious that even though he pays an enormous price, right, personally with the love of his life, that he still maintains this fiction because his sister made him vow on a deathbed. Yeah, he becomes even like he's twice the Ned Stark he was um, when you first are introduced to him. It's like it makes it all yep. that much deeper. And if he essentially is just doing this to cover up his whoring around. Right. It is a bit. I mean, that's like, these are the things that John himself is like, God, how can my dad be this upright, righteous guy? And he goes and fights for 12 months and, and he gets a bastard. And why did he do this to me? Why did he do that to Lady Stark? Why? Those are all great questions. And the fact that Ned kind of suffers through with this mm-hmm. stoic dignity makes, makes him an awesome, an awesome tragic figure. Right. And that's the thing. I don't know you, Matt. Um, we'd have to fight this out over a couple beers at a bar, but I don't, the, the, the people that don't believe in R plus L equals J, I don't, I don't know how they treat evidence because you, there's clearly a lot of red herrings that George put in the books because he obviously didn't want to spell out R plus L equals J. So there are threads you can pull like, you know, a Chardain, uh, you know, Ned. Ned killed her brother that she was uh, 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 that she loved dearly. Ned gave the sword Dawn back to the family, and she throws herself off the castle wall and into the sea out of grief. Is it because she was grieving over a stolen child? Is it she's grieving over Ned because there was you know there's also hints that Ned and her had a thing at the, I think the tourney of Harrenhal that she danced with him and he was. You know, infatuated with her because she's also one of the be- most beautiful women in the realm. Fucking Barristan Selmy was infatuated with her, wanted to marry her. Uh, <laughs> is is he the father of John? Like that's the thing. There's there's a there is one theory that ties in every statement in the books and all of John's inner thoughts and all of Ned's inner thoughts and all the prophecies that Danny sees and all the pro- prophecies of. And then there's other things. There's a paragraph or two that people can explode into a 15 minute YouTube video and say what if. <laughs> Sure. And nitpick statements about Ned personally pulling down a tower and all. And I just, you know, I don't know how you individually weight, weight evidence and like whether you just like some people like like having this like clinging this kind of conspiracy or alternate theory because, you know, it's it's an I, I think these alternate theories are fun and they're clever and they are an interesting thing to do to pass the time for the last seven years. I mean, the show has, truth, has all but said Jon Snow is the product of Rhaegar right. and Lyanna. Like that, they have basically said that on screen. And if they, and if, and, and the question is, would they freestyle on that big of a moment? <laughs> right. I really doubt it. I can't imagine it. 
Like, do you really think that he they sat that George sat down and said, "All right, boys, uh-huh. who's John's real mother?" And they said, "Ashara Dane," which is a which. Then here's the other thing: <laughs> that is a theory that's articulated in universe. Like Robert Baratheon's like, oh, huh. that winch willow with the big tits. Did you do it with her? And then other people are like, oh, I bet you know. Cersei's like, I bet you did it with the, the fucking Dane whore and all. Like, uh-huh. you really think that the theory that's articulated clearly and plainly in the show or in the books is is going to be the one that that's, that wins the bell or the one that's carefully woven through prophecy and illusion and mystery and symbology <laughs> and I don't know. And also the show coming out and saying it. Yeah. I don't want to pick on you, Matthew. I'm just trying to trying to get get in into your head and explain why I think you're wrong, which is a hostile act. There's no way to do it and be gentle <laughs> so about it. You feel appropriate. The only way to do on. it is is in a, is in a is in a bar over several beers, and we don't have that luxury. Hannah B. Hey guys. Hey Hannah. Hey. I want to get your opinions on a theory I've been seeing floating around involving the Greyjoys and Yaris. N plus A equals J. No. G plus Y equals WTF. (laughs) What are your thoughts on her taking on Falia Flowers? Wait, who? I missed it. I was making a joke. Okay. I want your opinions on a theory I've seen floating around involving the Greyjoys and Yaris' fate. What are your thoughts of her taking on Falia Flowers' role from the books, a.k.a. ending up pregnant with her tongue cut out by the time Theon gets to her? Brief dis- dis- oh boy! I, we talk- I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but in the books, in the Forsaken chapter, preview chapter of the Winds of Winter, you found that you find that Euron has been raping and reaving in the Riverlands, and this one foolish child woman, Falia Flowers, has betrayed her father and essentially turned over her house to Euron because Euron has wooed her, and she thinks that she's he's going to I'm, I'm going to have a baby with him, and I'm going to be his 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 salt queen or her because you know they've got the Iron Island just have this this thing that they tell women. <laughs> okay, <laughs> oh, you're my salt wife, baby. Yeah, I got the rock wife back at home, but you're my oh, salt wife. Boy. Which means you're the wife in any port. Uh-huh. And at the end of the chapter, you find that Aaron Damphair, who's been tortured this entire chapter, is lashed to the front of uh, Euron's personal f- flagship. And he looks over to the side and he sees Falia Flowers, who is ve- visibly pregnant, s- naked, and he's she's lashed there right alongside him and she's got her tongue cut out. Hmm. Yeah, so I don't I don't know if the stuff that Euron was doing on that boat when he attacked Yara uh-huh. um, was meant as foreshadowing for this. Right. Or if it was meant to kind of cover the bases here and say, hey, we're not going to do this thing, but here's right. like nod to the book readers, tongue cutting and lashing to the front and stuff like that. I, I'm i kind of hoping for the latter because I don't really need to see that. Well, that's what Hannah continues. She goes, I personally think that it would be a disservice to her character. And despite all the claims before the season stated that Euron would be worse than Ramsey, I feel like they've made him more of a cartoon villain than a total sadist. Though that could certainly change. I'm pretty sure Theon's redemption mm-hmm. arc will involve... Uh, her saving her and hopefully killing Euron before dying himself. However, Yar will be mostly intact because I'm super done with torture porn. Me too. Yeah. And and honestly, like, I don't. I do you think the double D's are a little gun shy about like they've brutalized so many women, and they've also like like, I, I, you know that they 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 did do a lot of stuff to Sands that it doesn't happen to her in the books. Probably won't happen to her in the books. I, I feel like if they. If they show if, if Euron rapes her, Yara gets her pregnant, and she's lashed nude to the front of his bow, but it just it just read as too much. I think that, I ma- agree. That makes me a snowflake. Then okay, fine, I'm house snow. But I I think that I don't necessarily need to see her degraded like this badass woman degraded in that way. Yeah, I certainly don't want to see it. I don't 
I don't know how I would feel if I did see it. Um, I, I will say if I want to put on my devil's advocate hat on, which is a righteous hat. It's got horns, smells of sulfur. Uh-huh. Uh, I wonder with her constant insensitivity and torment about the way Theon was broken down mm-hmm. that I could see them saying like, well, Theon was this cocksure, strong son of Greyjoy and we broke him down and his, and his sisters never like, we're going to put her through the ringer the same way so they can be these broken things together. And that will be an interesting arc. And I'm like, I can kind of see it, but boy, it's going to be uncomfortable and gross to watch. Yeah. So I hope, I hope not. Now, I do want to say this one other thing, because we haven't talked about it yet. One of the things I was super surprised about Cersei's pregnancy and I forgot to talk about is she's promised herself to Euron Greyjoy, mm-hmm. who doesn't seem like the type that is going to let himself be slighted a prize. And yet she's also told Jamie that she's going to publicly announce that he is the father of this child. That seems super foolish because Euron is going to be like you're giving away the game before it's over, mm-hmm. and I I wonder if that is going to be one of the things that the Double Ds just overlook because they're not they're doing some sloppy plotting, or if it's going to be intentional and this is going to be the beginning of uh, well, we're already well within the beginning of the unraveling of oh, yeah. Cersei's queendom, but uh-huh. I wonder if that's going to be yet another step where she loses Euron. It could be. And then um, what does Euron do? Does he? Honestly, I could see her going back on her word to Jamie here. Um, uh-huh. You know, get, getting Jamie's hopes up that maybe they won't need to hide this thing anymore. Maybe Cersei right, is right, and like the opinions of the people don't matter as much as he thinks. Yeah. Um, and then not actually going through with it, and instead saying that this is Euron's child or something to sort of seal that, not the relationship between those two, but the people's view of their relationship. So then, I mean, then she's got Jamie on this. Right, now, now then Jamie Jamie's feels pissed. jilted yeah. and slighted. Yeah. Right, and yeah. that could be the thing that finally fucking turns him. Yeah. Uh, or, if he's ever going to be turned. what if they find, what if Jamie finds out that Euron's been fucking Cersei this whole time, right. and it yeah. really is Euron's baby? Yeah. That, she, she wanted <laughs> that could be this, worse. Like, I mean, that's, I got a couple emails where, like, they're like, oh, you guys, you seem like a little anti-woman, take, you know, like, saying that Cersei could be manipulating Jamie, and I'm like, ah... Can you be anti-woman when it comes to Cersei? No, I'm anti-Cersei. Like, I get that's a stereotypical, <laughs> like, oh, a woman trying to trap him with a man. But, like, Cersei in universe is being portrayed as a literal monster. Yeah. Like, Cersei is not all And the most manipulative of, of all we can, the people We, we can this. hate Cersei without being misogynist. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I, I feel like that's allowed. God, if Cersei hasn't earned it, who has? Yeah, right. Like, she is... I, I'm trying to think of a more despicable female character in all of fiction. <laughs> Because <laughs> oh, she's, she's she is shallow and cruel and full of herself, full of herself, and she's a mass murderer now. And yep. she was willing to, you know, she's bl- betrayed people, right? And like in the books, it's even worse because she's nakedly manipulating Jamie. It's not even a subtext; it's part of the text. And you know, Jamie, to his credit, is had his fill at the end of Dance of Dragons. Show Jamie uh, is a, is a little bit more pig headed, but. Yeah, I feel like you can you can hate Cersei all day long. This isn't a Skylar White situation. I'm gonna continue to hate Cersei. Cersei is Apologies. a, a, a despicable. She is like maybe not as bad as Ramsay or Euron, but she's sure. she's in the neighborhood. Yeah. She moved into the mass murdering piece of shit neighborhood and brought the property value down. Yeah. Uh, uh, real quick, let's go back to Yara for a second because yes. they're clearly going somewhere with this Theon Yara thing, right? They they still Theon doesn't come back and say I want Danny to help me if Danny's 
not going to do anything to help right. him, or if he's not at least going to go on a quest to get Yara back. So we will see Yara in some state. And tellingly, Yara was not brought back to King's Landing, mm-hmm. which is a little bit scary to me. Uh, right. Or she was brought back to King's Landing. But then she wasn't left she, there. Right. She wasn't shown, like, in the dungeons with Ilaria or no. or the other Sands. You get the idea that she is going to be Euron's plaything. That he, she's his prize, which is scary to me. So, like, I mean, it wouldn't, like, I guess the delicate way to do this would be for Theon to rescue his sister. And maybe she's got her tongue cut out. Mm-hmm. And she's got tear, and like you know the, and then then you would tell the story that like she un, she suddenly understands her brother a lot more, and he's yeah. also found the strength to do the thing that she did for him. So mm-hmm. it's like it does complete their arc a little bit, and there's a way you can do that without grossing us all the fuck out. Uh, sure, like, I don't need to see. I don't need to see her on raping her. I don't need to see her yeah. super pregnant. I don't need to like I. I mean, we, 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 we went through weeks of that with Theon so that we would understand if, like, if they wanted to go that route, they could show the aftermath of Yara and they could right. have that kind of without, I don't need to, I don't think there's enough time, number one. Mm-hmm. Like, I, there's people out there super pissed that they waste, quote unquote, wasted time on Grey Worm and Miss Andy. Like, if they spend 15 minutes over the next <laughs> season yeah. torturing Yara, that's 15 minutes I want back. Right. So that's how I feel. Uh, Whitney C. from Louisiana. There's been so much debate going on about the Valonqar and who it could turn out to be, with Tyrion and Jamie being the most obvious contenders. Given the recent news of Cersei's pregnancy, could it be possible that the little brother the prophecy mentions is referring to the baby, assuming it's a boy? Mm-hmm. However anticlimactic that end might be for a character's important controversy with Cersei, do you think the Double Ds would have her die due to complications from childbirth? Hmm. This was a... Whitney's the first one to send it in, but this was a popular listener theory. Uh, I think that's interesting um, because the prophecy is all about, you know, children and people younger than her. And, yeah. like, it has sort of a rhyme to it that I yeah. like with all of that. Yeah. It, the, the thing about the pregnancy that also annoys and I did talk about the main cast, is that – no, maybe I didn't. Maybe I went – you know – well, no, the prophecies in the show, so I think I did talk about this on the show. Uh, the other thing I didn't talk about, or I, I talked about a little bit on the main show, is how another reason I'm annoyed at Cersei's pregnancy is that it kind of fucks up the Maggie the Frog prophecy. Hmm. Like, Double Ds have already kind of fucked it up by having the sickly child that, yeah. that's, that that Cersei had with Robert and him dying and, you know, and then this golden hair prop. But, like, if she has another child with Jamie, presumably with golden hair, well, then she's had four. Mm-hmm. Um and if it dies, she dies giving childbirth. Like, is that is there an asterisk on her prophecy? Otherwise, I like it because yeah. it's as we talked before. Like, you know, especially in pre-modern scientific medicine eras, uh, childbirth is incredibly dangerous for women. Right, incredibly dangerous. Like, you know, evolution played a game of roulette with y'all's. Uh, hip bones and the size of her giant brains, uh-huh. and uh, a lot of times women lost that 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 game, um, and uh, that's an unfortunate set. And, and Game of Thrones is is littered with with people that that are the result of like John John Danny uh, Tyrion. All mothers died giving giving uh, uh, laboring with them, so mm. it's possible. Um, but it, it kind of fucks up the prophecy and. I don't. I don't know. It also it doesn't wrap its fingers around. Like, I want to see. I want to see a throttling. I want to see my throttling line. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I didn't even know I wanted it until uh, the, the listener chimed in. But I, I want to see the throttling. 
Uh, anything else? Should we move I, on? I need to cut out my tongue because I'm desperately trying not to make a game of hip bones joke. <laughs> and it's just, <laughs> uh, it's not working. Game of pelvic bones. It's going to distract me the rest of the episode. <laughs> the game of pelvic bones. Yes. Another t-shirt idea. You just have the pelvic bones <laughs> and like a uh, giant head coming through and it's clearly too big to fit through the birth canal. Yep. The game of The game of pelvic bones. I'm sorry. Dun, dun, I apologize. Dun, 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 dun. It's like it's just a woman's body, and it's swiveling around, showing all the bullshit that we deal. Like, oh, look, a vesticle tailbone. What's it doing there? And, yeah, our backbones are poorly engineered for upright gates, and the horrors of childbirth. And it's you know, <laughs> clockwork wombs pop up. And all right, let's move on. Connor O'B. I've been more and more uncertain of Danny's ultimate goals with Westeros this season, as she is constantly saying that she wants to break the wheel, but then continues to demand everyone bend the knee to her. If she's looking to break the wheel, then shouldn't she be taking some alternative approach to removing the Lannisters from ultimate power rather than waging war and demanding loyalty through bending the knee? The two ideas seem contradictory to me, and I was hoping to get to your thoughts. Yeah, no, I'm with you. This is the this is the reason why I got so worried when she's sitting up on the throne meeting John for the first time, saying, I'm the rightful ruler because of my name. Everybody's got to bend the knee. You're going to bend the knee. I'm like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense with what you've been saying. Yeah, um, Connor continues, uh, does she expect to take power by using power and then changing everything up once she's on her, once everyone's on her side, willingly or otherwise? Which reminds me, like, this is a tale as old as time, right? Like, yeah. it was recently told in The Wire, seasons two through whatever, with Mayor Carcetti, who's actually Littlefinger. Like, this guy wanted to make changes in this shitty town of King's Land, I mean, Baltimore. <laughs> and he committed a lot of sins to get to the power, and those sins are the ones that kept him from doing the good things that he wanted to do and, and yeah. kept him from doing the moral choice. So that would be not unprecedented to have a person who has the right ideas, but what are you willing to do? If you, if you stoop to using your enemy's methods to take power, then how can you then claim a moral high ground? You're always going to be right. vulnerable And there's another problem with this is the power vacuum. And I think maybe I've discovered the importance of Dorne in this story. Maybe it is Westeros in a microcosm where you have no leader. The wheel is broken in Dorne, right? Now what happens? Well, there's always going to be consolidation of power. There's always going to be somebody who's willing to grab grab the fucking, uh, I don't know, what do you use to make a wheel? The grind stuff, yeah. grab a big yeah. old stone and you a see, chisel and you, go to town and make a new fucking wheel. You got to keep your wheel to the grind wheel. Yeah, you, t- you grind two wheels together and you get a wheel. That's right. how it was made. You take two squares, <laughs> grind them against each other. They, they turn around. It's science. It's fact. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there will be this power vacuum that someone will fill. Yeah. And and if someone like Danny is not around to police it and say mm-hmm. no no nobody's in charge here right we're all this is going to be anarchy in the in the UK and right. we're going to do this thing then someone will step up like Littlefinger like right. uh, I don't know just anybody is going to be looking for their chance to rule man it it really makes it when you say it like that it's like it's kind of amazing democracy works at all because mm-hmm. the police are the people. Like ultimately, okay. the, the, the you yeah. know what I'm saying, like like how, and the... yet there are still influence exerted. Is oh, this is yeah. kind of my point, right? The right. influences are still there, exerting pressure on which way the wind blows. Exactly, and those people are always going to do that, even if there isn't any formal position of like king or ruler or queen. Uh, Connor has a darker term too. He got from going on a Wikipedia binge. Apparently, on a side note, a research team breaking the wheel and 
stumbled across the breaking wheel, which is a medieval torture device that Wikipedia describes <laughs> thusly. Oh, yeah. The wheel is a typically a large wooden wagon wheel with mini radial spokes. The condemned are lashed to the wheel, and their limbs were beaten with a club or iron cudgel. Is it cudgel or cudgel? I, think I would say cudgel. Cudgel. Sounds like a, it's, it's a harsher. Cudgel's something like you name your dog cudgel. Right. Here, cudgel. Uh, cudgel, that sounds like something that you're going to break bones with. Mm-hmm. With the gaps in the wheel allowing the limbs to uh, give way and break. Alternatively, the condemned were spread-eagled and broken on a salt tire. A cross consisting of two wooden beams nailed in an X shape, after which the victim's mangled body might be displayed on the wheel. Hmm. Uh, I wouldn't put it past Martin to have her say in breaking the wheel and ends up, you know, her being this mad. I mean, is Danny going to be the mad queen or not? Like, I feel like... That's the question. That question has to be resolved pretty soon, because it sure as shit's going to be unsatisfying if she's, like, the, the triumphant hero until the penultimate episode of the final season... And then she turns Mad Queen mm-hmm. and has to be put down. Like, also, how would you do that if she's got three powerful dragons? Like, all all right. kinds of all kinds of questions. Um, but anyway, that's pretty dark, Connor. I'm still pool. I'm still rooting for democracy. I think they can make it work. Uh, Jessica W. Just some thoughts about the revelation that Rhaegar had an annulment and married Lyanna in uh, secret. So much of that doesn't make sense. When they say secret, does it mean that literally no one knows the newly wedded couple? And, except knows. for the newly wedded couple and the Septon? There you go. It sure doesn't seem like anyone told Elia at the time of her death, which came months later, she was still living at the Red Keep, still known to everyone as his wife. I assume that Rhaegar was allowed to set her aside because he, she could no longer bear children due to her frail health. But annulment means she's not just dis, uh, means that he's just disinherited their two children and transformed them into bastards. What kind of heartless person would do this and why? How could they do this without even telling the former wife? And if she knew, why would she go along with it without putting up a fight? He's trying to break the wheel. He's trying to break. <laughs> Didn't work. Break. He's playing the game of hit bones. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, this is something that people have been wrestling with, with the, the dichotomy between the view in universe that Rhaegar went and stole and raped her to death and got her with this bastard child with the view that he was a romantic and a poet and also concerned with the people and, and devoted to his wife and children, but yet wanted to see this fulfillment. Like that's a lot of directions for a person to be pulled, pulled in. Mm-hmm. And I, the other thing is the double D's could be saying this without thinking about the medieval. Uh, I mean, I, they do this a lot where they just go with the rule of cool and they don't really think about how it would, how it would work in universe or how us, the audience, would perceive it. Uh, I, so I wouldn't put it past them for throwing in a word like annulment and not really think about. They're just thinking like, the oh, official term this, means J- this means John is a true-born son. They don't think of, well, the Targaryens could just – he could just marry another wife and they'd all be true-born and it wouldn't affect Elia in any way and – you know, and also like a lot of people think like, did what did Elia think? Was she like weeping in the Red Keep this whole time? Was she heartbroken? Like, uh, presumably she loved Rhaegar. Presumably Rhaegar loved her at some point. Um, there's this, you know, all this like, bizarre theory of like, well, of course Elia, you know, she loved Rhaegar and he wanted the the dragon to have three heads and she couldn't have any more kids, so she's like, yeah, go fuck whatever noble woman you want. Like, that seems hard to swallow. Yeah, I mean, with the annulment. Um... You know, having the effect that it would have, uh, I feel like his intention was somewhat clear that he wanted the only heir to be through Lyanna Stark. Mm-hmm. 
So that that's, it'd be unquestioned. I, I mean, yeah, it seems to me like that was his like intention like, by doing egg, the annulment. Aegon's a dud. Uh, already pulled pull the ripcord on this. Annul it. You're a bastard, Aegon. You're a bastard. I, I mean, it seems like it, right? Yeah. If he understands the full weight of annulment, and if the Double Ds understand that... that's then I just then, gave a heavy sigh because I can see a way that the Double Ds just don't square this circle... And we have so. no illumination on that, and we have to wait hmm. for the books that probably are never going to come. <laughs> so oh, no, like because I, I really, I, yeah. I wouldn't put it past them just not to think about that angle. Hmm. They are so hell bent on letting us know that John's legitimate Targaryen, ready to sit the Iron Throne, ready to have a power like some kind of bullshit power struggle with Danny that they they didn't think about the word annulment and what it means. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they do know what yeah. they're going for here and very specifically went for it and they'll tell us in time and i also it'll become clear i wouldn't be dogmatic about this like just because they use the word annulment i would not then say that like until i read it in the books that that means Rhaegar or see it confirmed in the series that that means Rhaegar intentionally and cold-heartedly put his i mean it's already kind of troubling that he left his wife and ex-wife i guess and children in king's landing while it's being sieged and spent took his king's guard to protect i mean mm-hmm. it works if Rhaegar's a crazy prophecy conspiracy goon sure but that's a lot different than i think george intended us to like 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 Rhaegar's introduced this monstrous character that we then start to see doubts about when we see the way Ned thinks about him, when we see the way Barristan Selmy thinks about him, when we see the way he's beloved by the people, and this. So it's like, I, I, is it possible he saw something or gained some knowledge that would have sent him down that road? You yeah. know, maybe it's not like super within character, but you see something shocking like the White Walkers North. Oh, that's an interesting you say, idea. Well, maybe I need to force this thing. Right. Because it did seem like, I mean, I've always heard it described as like he essentially came out of the library one day as like, well, seems like prophecy intends for me or my children to save the world, so I better become a warrior. And I better start mm-hmm. taking like this whole kid thing serious. And like it was like transformation from him being kind of this booky poet heart playing dude to being a <laughs> badass warrior. Uh-huh. Like he put his, formidable... he was Sam. He turned into Dick on. Yeah. Or Jon Snow. Like he, he, he turned yeah. his, because like he just seems like a formidable person. Cause he's just, he's like, he's like the brain of Tyrion, the sword arm of John and the soul of a poet. Like okay. he's like the, he's, uh-huh. he's the idealized leader. And how do you square that with him being this heartless I don't know, and I if the books never come out, we might never know unless the double D's make it super explicit. Yeah. So frustrating, but that's how I see it. Simon R. I was always dubious of Jor Jor Mormon's backstory of Longclaw when he presented it to John in honor of saving his life. We have now had two separate Mormons who have seen John and his sword, and neither have mentioned or acknowledged <laughs> it. Is it we put too much oh, emphasis yeah. on these ancestral swords, or is Longclaw another prominent sword from the world of ice and fire? Lady Mormon would probably want that back, wouldn't she? Right. John's not mentioning a damn thing. I forgot. I was like, oh, yeah, well, he should mention it to Jorah. But you're right. Lady Mormon would probably want it, too. Yeah. The, her ancestral blade. I, spe- I mean, there's another one that, like, I wonder if the nuance is going to be different in the books because it does seem pretty shitty for John. Mm-hmm. Who like he doesn't know he's a Targaryen yet, but he he's got to feel keenly the fact that his father's ancestral blade, who's been in the 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 family for for time out of mind, yeah, it's ripped away from him and made by his hated enemies. Like, mm-hmm. why would he willingly do that? Like like once he's he's 
once he, he's confronted with the firstborn son of the guy who gave it to her, or like you said, Lady Mormon, who's a badass in her own right, why wouldn't he at least attempt to give it back? He should go up to Jordan and be like, hey, check out this sword, Jordan. Pretty sweet sword, right? Yeah. Now Check this out. <laughs> now, why this, they don't recognize it? How recognizable is Longclaw, remembering that in both the book and the show, it used to be a bear's head. Yeah. That had like silver ornamentation. It was very noticeable, and that got in the books damaged by the fire. In the show, Mormont just decided to do as a tribute. He had the pommel replaced with a, a, a white wolf's head, right, in honor of the Stark symbol. And he put red garnet eyes in the books to to, to be a deliberate allusion to ghost. So it's Valyrian steel, which we know people can recognize by the look of it. But has has Lady Mormont seen it on the back? Like I know, I don't think. Well, she I don't know that she's seen it out of the sheath. I'm not right, sure. and that's the other thing: the, the sheath, scabbard, whatever. Presumably the scabbard, like you know, Ned had that badass wolf pelt. Right, uh, that got burnt up in the fire that destroyed Lord Commander's apartment too. So yeah. like, it's got a brand new scabbard. It's got a brand new pommel. The only mm-hmm. way he would recognize it is the hilt and the grip. Yeah, and I guess Which I would is fairly be- distinctive, I, especially a guy like Jorah who. But it's, I mean, he it's gave different. he left this sword behind because of what it meant to his family, yes, right? Yes, yes. So he is intimately familiar with the sword. You think he'd recognize the hilt and I, the, the I think he'd probably the, the at least side eye it and go, "Is huh. that my sword? Huh. My family's sword?" It doesn't. But the other thing is, like, even if Mormon, Jorah recognized it, I Jorah is so ashamed of his his station in his family. Yeah. I don't think he would challenge it. Lady Mormon, you're right. That's a a better question. Yeah, I feel but like Lady she Mormon, has more of a claim to it than he does at this but point. But Lady Mormon, when 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 Long Call, like she wasn't even born right. when Mormon, you know, took the black and then you know uh, Jorah disgraced himself and left it behind and got back. Like she wasn't even born, so she's probably never even seen the damn blade. Oh, but she has a deep philosophical understanding and I mean, a very eloquent explanation as to why she should have the sword. She sure, <laughs> trust sure, me, she does. Sure. Uh, um, but I, yeah, I, I guess I guess it's not nearly my biggest logical inconsistent fish to fry sure show yeah. so and i think there's in-universe explanations and and also there's a lot you know there's there's a there's a lot of story left like mm-hmm. i think that even if john was inclined to give it back he has immediate need for it now that we know it kills <laughs> white walkers yeah like for sure maybe what'll happen is at the end of the story like, they'll either rediscover the secret of making a Valerian steel, and then he'll give it back to the Mormons. Like, that would be a, a pretty moving scene if he presents Lady Mormon with the sword and says, like, this has served me well. I want to be to serve Mormons for generations. And Or even if they don't, you know, reforge ice or whatever, um, the fact that the war's over, the White Walkers are vanquished, I'm now giving your family back. You know that that would that would echo his generosity with the umbers and you know to give sure. them their castles yeah. back. Like it would be out it of seems character like for the him right to thing just to keep do. it. Yeah, yeah. So, and that is the last. Uh, that's the last email we had this week. Okay. Um, that is the spoiler episode for uh, this week. Of course, we got uh, another episode coming up this weekend. Uh, we'll have the full treatment instant take on Sunday night. Full podcast Tuesday afternoon and spoiler edition out Friday afternoon. Uh, Hope you join us for all those things, and uh, we'll see you next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you later.